Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what is your random article? Today, my random article is something actually sort of interesting. Surprisingly, it is the Mitsubishi Gallant VR4, the range-topping version of Mitsubishi Motors' Gallant model. Hmm. Yeah. We haven't really talked about cars much. I haven't really had an opportunity. Um, I can... I feel like I can safely say we'll be going to that article because I got Ron Halday, who is an Israeli politician. Hmm. <laughs> so. I was wondering where that was going to go. With yeah. Ron Halday, it could really go anywhere. That name <laughs> seems pretty pretty cross-cultural. Could yeah. be. Israeli was not my first <laughs> pick, but. Yep. And appar- but apparently he... Um, he is a history graduate of University of Pennsylvania. Whoa, hey, so, that's... Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, he also went to a bunch of other different schools, but he did study history at University of Pennsylvania. Neat. Okay, so, all right. That's a little... That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Ha- he's an Ivy League guy. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so Mitsubishi Gallon. VR4? VR-4, yep. Alright. Kind of looks like a BMW. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Has that little grill on the front. Well, I guess all, all Japanese cars were kind of going for that after a certain fashion. Mm. Like they, they, if you kind of look at them at that time frame, like Hondas looked a lot like that too. Yeah. They were trying to deceive us, trying to make faux <laughs> BMWs to be accepted by uh, choosy American <laughs> tastes. Oh, anyway, it was originally introduced uh, to comply with the new Group A regulations of the World Rally Championship, Uh, and it was soon superseded as Mitsubishi's competition vehicle by the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution, or the Lancer Evo, as it's more commonly known. So it had a very brief uh, window, which it kind of missed for the entire reason that they made this car, but... (laughs) It was built from 1988 to 2002 and three over the course of three different uh, So a little bit of background on why Mitsubishi decided to make this. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, Mitsubishi was looking to improve its image through uh, participating in motorsport competitions. Um, the Lancer 1600 GSR and the Pajero slash Montero slash Shogun, uh, which is the name of the same car across several different markets. Uh, Shogun is a very cool name for a car. I really would want that, actually. There are a couple of really cool named, like, Japanese cars. There's the uh, Suzuki Samurai. It's kind of like a little, like, uh, Jeep Wrangler thing. Anyway, anyway. um, Both of these cars, uh, both the Shogun and the Lancer, uh, achieved great success initially in rallying and rally raid events, and eventually the company planned an attempt on the Group B class of the World Rally Championship, which is kind of second to Group A, but still pretty right. prestigious, um, with a four-wheel drive version of its Star Ion Coupe. However, the class was outlawed following several <laughs> fatal accidents in 1985 and 1986 and Mitsubishi was forced to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit uh, so instead homologated homologated uh, that, uh, ha- homologated. why would they choose that word <laughs> I, I mean there must be a sp- very specific Maybe, thing that it means yeah, that, that has to be something basically what I think they mean is they 
reimagined the recently introduced sixth generation of the Gallant for its Group A racing class using the mechanical underpinnings from the aborted Star Ion type. Mm. Uh, between 1988 and 1992, it uh, It was campaigned by the official factory outfit Mitsubishi Rally Art Europe, hmm. winning three events in the hands of Michael Erickson in 1989's 1000 Lakes Rally uh, by the hand of Paniti Ayerikala in the 1989 Lombard RAC Rally, and finally by Kenneth Erickson in the 1991 Swedish Rally. It was driven to outright victory in the Asia-Pacific Rally Championships by Kenjiro Shinozuka in 1988 and Ross Dunkerton in 1991 through 1992, as well as the American National GT Championship by Tim (laughs) O'Neill. So I, oddly enough, recognize some of those names. Uh, Tim O'Neill, I recognize, and for whatever reason, Kenneth Erickson. Hmm. Or maybe Michael Erickson. I recognize maybe both. I, I don't be. know why I know those names, but it hmm. could be they may have appeared on Top yeah, Gear or something. Yeah, sound familiar. Yeah, I may have seen them in passing somewhere. There can't, there aren't that many like really big names in rally sports. Mm. In like you know, if you're a big. Yeah. <laughs> If you're a big guy who uh, who wins a lot of races driving over dirt mounds, like <laughs> there are not that many people uh, who who yeah. have done that, because it's not you know something that's got a whole lot of notoriety to it. So if you've made if you made a name for yourself doing that, you've really broken the mold. All right. Okay. So now uh, there's a and then below that there's just a list of all the people who have won with these cars. Okay, so uh, the Group A regulations dictated a a turbocharged engine of 2.0 liter displacement and four-wheel drive transmission. And in order to satisfy the mandatory minimum sales requirements of 5,000 units, Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi made it available in North America, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, and other Asian Pacific Rim territories with 2,000 reaching the United States in 1991 and 1,000 imported in 1992. That doesn't seem like very many. No, but I'm kind of impressed that this is a uh, racing league that literally requires you to have mechanical requirements, but also that the car cannot be explicitly built for the purpose of (laughs) rally racing. You have to sell these things, too. You can't... Like, they have to be cars people actually own. Yeah. That you modify somewhat, but, you know, for safety purposes, not because they're yeah. different from cars on the road. So that's kind of, I think that's admirable in a way. Yeah. You it's see race cars. That it's like a roadworthy right. car. Because you see race cars all the time and you think, man, that'd be neat. Sure, it's too bad I don't have $700,000 to drop under the construction of a stock car. <laughs> um, but no, these are real cars that they were using, mm-hmm. which is neat. Yeah. But yeah, 1,000, I mean, it's not that many, but think about it. There's just, there's just not that many Mitsubishis on the road yeah. compared to like Toyotas or Hondas. And most of the Mitsubishis that are on the road are pretty much exclusively Eclipses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would or, say I don't see many yeah. other ones. Occasionally a Lancer or two yeah. out there, but like that's that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, what else? That it also satisfied Japanese regulations concerning external dimensions and engine displacement, thereby reducing a sales handicap in Japan with regards to additional taxes paid by Japanese owners. <laughs> so, okay. So at a top speed of over 130 miles per hour, and it could accelerate from 0 to 60 in 7.3 seconds. Not too bad. And a quarter mile time of 15.3 seconds. Also also featured a power-assisted, speed-sensitive four-wheel steering. The rear wheels steered at the same phase as the front wheels above 30 miles per hour, up to 1.5 degrees. Neat. Hmm. They also made a liftback version, which I suppose means like those little slanted... Not yeah, like a hatchback, boot. it's but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess 
maybe it's like the halfway between the hatchback and the yeah. yeah. The door still swings upward, but it still has that like downward right. slash type side profile when you look at it. And really, hatchback is just another name for station wagon. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um. So. Mitsubishi developed its first high-performance four-wheel drive vehicle in 1987 when it equipped the Gallant VR4 with Dynamic 4, or Mitsubishi AWC, which featured a center differential type, full-time, four-wheel drive system. Uh, This system incorporated a vicious coupling unit, a four-wheel... Are you sure that that isn't viscous? Viscous. Viscous, yes. A viscous <laughs> coupling unit, pardon. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, vicious doesn't make sense in that context, does it? I mean, uh, honestly, I wouldn't put it past um, Japanese car makers. No. But <laughs> <laughs> I would not either. Um, still, uh, it's uh, incorporated a four-wheel steering system, four-wheel independent suspension, and four-wheel anti-lock brakes. The first total integration of these systems in the world that were highly advanced at the time. Uh, the 1987 Gallant also featured Dynamic ECS, a world's first production semi-active electronically controlled suspension system, which hmm. is basically a means of actively controlling a vehicle's cornering attitude and dynamic performance. Mitsubishi developed that back in the late 1980s. Like that was high tech at the time, and Mitsubishi was on it. That's cool. They were the yeah, first people on the scene with that kind of thing. That's a nice little achievement. Yeah. Uh, they also had active ECS, or Enhanced Ride Comfort, and <laughs> kept body inclination to a minimum under all driving conditions by controlling the grip between the tires and the road surface. Huh. That's an impressive amount of uh, features for this little car. Yeah. I mean, I know they were building this thing to, you know, compete in an mm. all-terrain sort of situation, but still... Yeah, I'd be interested in uh, checking one of these out sometime. If I can find one. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's somewhat rare. They are they are around, obviously. I mean, uh, yeah. they did sell... There's a thousand of them out there. Or there were. I mean, not how many of them are still on the road. But they're here. They're here somewhere. That much we know of. You can always check Craigslist. You can always take a little detour to Craigslist. <laughs> See what they got for us. Hey, there's uh, there's one of these guys for sale oh. in Phoenix. Oh wait, no, this isn't the VR4 though. This is just a Galant. This is what we have to look for. Is the VR4? The VR4 is the the necessary part. We gotta find right that that racing spec. Oh, there's the VR4. Seven thousand dollars. It's not a bad price. You found a VR4? Yep. It is legally imported from Japan. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And As opposed to the illegally imported <laughs> ones. It's located in Orlando, Florida. This one is located um, in... Well, I found one for $3,000 from 1991. <laughs> so it's one of the first generation ones. It is located... Oh, it's located in York. It's near Hanover. Oh, nice. As a matter of fact, $3,000 will get you one of these things, or best offer. We should go take it for a test drive. May as well. Just for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Just have a little podcast video we can throw up. Yeah. Bad. bad. Rust on the bumper. Rust on the hood. Water pipe mm-hmm. is leaking around the turbo. Oh, that's rough. Uh, One black wheel and three green wheels. <laughs> it says that it came that way. Um... <laughs> Vinyl dash is separating from itself. Hmm, sounds like a tumultuous household. <laughs> uh, clear coat is halfway off. Only half, though. The other half's still good. Mm-hmm. Uh, coolant temperature sensor doesn't work. That's a big deal. How are we supposed to cool down the engine if the temperature sensor doesn't work? <laughs> uh, and the windshield's cracked. But the things that are good, the motor, the piston and the rods, which are in the motor, the rod bolts part of the motor uh the arp mains motor it could just continue to say motor <laughs> um transmissions in there it's a manual and it's an old school old school turbo 
they say. Still, it's cool to know that this thing is out there. You can still get them if you're interested for not even that much money. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. All right. Anyway, done uh, veering off topic. <laughs> or not off topic, but off Wikipedia, off site. Yeah. Just sort of interested to see if it was out there as an option. Okay, so it has a 60 liter fuel tank. That's substantial. Yeah, how, many, how much would that be in gallons? Well, let's see. A liter's about a quart, right? So it's like 20 gallons. That's a decent size. I mean, I, my car can only take 12 gallons, at, at, like, completely empty. It says uh, 15 gallons. 15. Oh, 15.8 gallons. 15.8. Okay, yeah. so that's not too, too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my car has maybe a 19 or 20 gallon tank. That makes sense. You have but, an old... Uh, but yeah, I have a Grand Marquis. So yeah, yeah, that's it's a big one. Pretty big. The gallons, I think, is supposed to be kind of like a mid-sized car. So that's mm. kind of like a... That's yeah, that's a decent spec size, point. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So by the time we get up to the eighth generation, which was the final generation of this car, which was introduced in 1996, you had the engine go from 2.0 liters to being a 2.5 liter engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the horsepower went up to 276 <laughs> from a starting point of 195. And it could now do speeds of over 150, where it could only do over 130 before. Nice. So, uh... However, it no longer satisfied Japanese regulations oops. concerning engine displacement size. Oh. <laughs> so now Japanese buyers were liable for additional yearly tax requirements. Ah, oh, man. So... Sure is too bad for <laughs> everybody who bought this car that lives in Japan. Yes. America. Uh, luckily, they exported a lot of them to America. Woo! All right. I wonder what they called them here. I bet you by this point in time, it probably wasn't referred to as the VR4. Yeah, it might not have been. Not here. But um, if they're in America, there's still hope. You can still drive these things. <laughs> That's cool. It says that this is, this is the one that got from 0 to 60 in about 6 seconds flat. Mm. So you went from 7.3 seconds to 6 seconds even, and that's pretty good. For a car that size, not shabby at all. Ooh. The Type V model could be specified with either the existing 5-speed manual option, which was now an advanced self-learning 5-speed <laughs> semi-automatic based on Porsche's triptonic transmission. Self-learning? Self-learning. <laughs> I don't know. There's no link to that. Um, Man, what does that mean? Yeah, there's either five-speed manual or there's that. It's the optional self-learning <laughs> transmission, and that's a that sounds creepy. In 1996, yeah, I didn't know that there was a computer that was gonna learn learn my sh- my shifting patterns back then. <laughs> the Type S variant model offered the uh, optional active yaw control. <laughs> yaw, yaw. I don't know what that is. Y A W. I've heard it before, but I don't recall what it is. Yeah. All right. So a Super VR4 variant was sold on both the Gallant sedan and the Legnum wagon with only cosmetic changes, such as a Recaro front seats and Momo steering wheel. Momo? Recaro? Where where are these things? (laughs) No link, no idea. Good. Thank you. (laughs) And then with the 8th generation, they also introduced a station wagon, which was known as the Legnum, um, and it replaced the old five-door hatchback. Interesting. A station wagon is not really the kind of uh, car that I would envision this becoming. Yeah. Like, for being a rally sport car, station wagon just doesn't seem (laughs) right for that. Like, it just doesn't seem like the right mm. shape, somehow. Looking at pictures, it kind of looks like a sporty kind of station wagon. The Legnum. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. But it just, it, it looks like two different cars smushed together. Like, if you showed somebody the back half of the picture, they'd be like, oh, is that a minivan? Yeah. <laughs> you show them the front half of the picture, oh, is that like a BMW? <laughs> yeah, and then and you put them together and you just kind of stand there and go, huh, that, <laughs> hmm. 
Goes yeah. From zero to sixty in six seconds. I mean, good for it, but <laughs> blech. I just don't want to be seen in it. Yeah, it's weird. So it's, it's a. I mean, actually, it's not a terrible thing. I kind of like how weird it is. Hey, we uh, give you a very unique and distinct, you know, car-like style. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem very conventional at all. There's only one other car I can think of that kind of like looks like this, and it's the Dodge Magnum. Mm, which was yeah. only around for a few years, but it was like a low, mm-hmm. low to the ground, low profile station wagon like this. Kind of looked sporty. Yeah. Which sort of makes sense, I guess, because I think maybe, um, and now I'm curious, the bounce <laughs> over here. At one point, I know that uh, Chrysler was using Mitsubishi Motors mm. in their cars. Hmm. Um, I wonder if the Dodge Magnum was actually a variant. Nope, doesn't really seem to be any sort of uh, relationship there, but it was actually back. Uh, the Magnum was actually a revamped model from back in the 70s. Hmm. So, yeah, but it's definitely the only other car I can think of that looks very similar to this one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, where do we want to go? Well, boy, do we have some options. Yeah. Could jump over to different car companies like Porsche. Or we could go to Active Y'all Control and figure out where Y'all is. Hmm. It's tempting. There are quite a few other options here. We could see some of the rallying mm. uh, racer guys. Mm-hmm. See some of the rallies themselves. Yeah, why don't we do that? Let's go see what rallies there are. Um, since I know that I, I'm kind of... I ha- have this feeling that I know this... Mikkel Erickson person. Hmm. We should try out yeah. that 1000 Lakes rally. Okay. See what that's about. Let's see here. Let's see. It goes to Nesty Rally. Or it goes to Rally Finland. Hmm. Okay, so it's a Finland rally. So he's Finnish. And he finishes first. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. And it's. A competition held in... Oh, boy. <laughs> Javaskila. Okay. <laughs> in in the <laughs> Finnish Lakeland? In central Finland. Yep. That's a town. Yeah. I'm really glad I don't live over there. Yeah, that would be super I, difficult. I would, just, I would just hold, like... A bunch of business cards in my pocket of different place names. Yep. I need to go here. <laughs> Where is this? <laughs> Can you give me directions to this? Can you type it into the GPS? I don't know how to make those a- those accents appear over the letters. So it says it's driven on wide and smooth gravel roads. Can gravel roads be smooth and wide? I guess relatively speaking. I mean... They can be narrow, that's for sure. But uh, if it's a if it's a rally, there's it's gonna be like gravelly no matter what. So right. So I suppose the smoothest, you know, that it could a gravelly right. road could be. Maybe just use fine, finer gravels, yeah. like that really, really fine stuff. None mm-hmm. of that large, large rocks. Yeah, not like one of those, you know, crazy driveways that where they just dump a bunch of rocks in. <laughs> Those are the worst, aren't they? Like, how <laughs> do you race in, on it's that? Just like, okay, good. I'm glad this is happening. <laughs> yep. Really, really dislike <laughs> any kind of... Uh, there are situations I've seen that in this county, and uh, it's awful. It's like, you know, just spring for the extra money to pave the driveway. <laughs> or for that matter, just make it dirt. I know yeah, it's rough. I, it, It'd be either. easier in my car. <laughs> I would rather get stuck in the mud than have to drive over this numerous times. Like, yeah. please. Or even just get a bunch of bricks, lay bricks down. That's yeah. cool too. You know, that's it's a simple. It's not like the simplest thing ever, road mm-hmm. building, but it's uh, it's actually very complex. But at the same time, <laughs> just don't put gravel down. I I don't like yeah. it. Just don't do it. <laughs> it just seems seems lazy. It does. A little, a little strange. Um. But I guess it's the it's probably the cheapest choice, and that's probably why somebody <laughs> can go with yeah. it. Probably. 
So it says that this is the fastest event in the World Rally Championships. I, I knew I had a good feeling about this. <laughs> I know nothing about the World Rally Championships whatsoever, and I have chosen the fastest and best race. It is uh, also dubbed the Grand Prix of Rallying and the mm. Grand Prix on Gravel. <laughs> um, Rally Finland is among the largest annually organized public events in the Nordic countries in general. Hmm. Uh, attracting hundreds of thousands of spectators each year. That's a lot of people. Yeah. The rally has been known to be very difficult for non-Nordic drivers. <laughs> Only five drivers from other countries other than Finland or Sweden have won the event. Wow. That's pretty intense. So, yeah. Um, first was um, started in 1951. And the name that it was started out as, it was Javasculan Surajat, or the Javascula Grand Prix. And originally it was an endurance event that stretched to Lapland in northern Finland, and the rally was at the forefront of the adoption of the modern rally format splitting the route into a number of special stages in the mid-1950s. So that's, that's kind of weird to think that they already had rally racing in the 50s. Yeah. And it sounds like even before that, because this started in the... Oh, no, I guess it could have been later, because it says it was at the forefront of the adoption of the modern rally format. So right, 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 right. It could have been later in its career that it started doing that, but... Yeah, that's uh, it's very strange. I didn't, I didn't expect. I mean, I, I knew racing has probably right. been around since the first cars. But you didn't around, think that the first cars were going to really be like able to perform in any <laughs> sort of like performance capacity yeah. on this kind of road. Yeah. Especially if the requisite for this kind of thing was back then what it is today, which is mm. you got to sell stuff to be able to qualify for. Like you have to sell. They have to be consumer grade cars. Yeah. He wouldn't have thought there would have been this much of a history to it, but it says <laughs> that it joined the European Rally Championship program in 1959. Yeah, it's not too long after it started. Yeah, and that also indicates to me that other European countries are doing the same thing mm. just as early on. There's there's yeah. already like a league <laughs> across several nations that was all about this kind of thing. Yeah. By the time the late 50s were were rolling in. So the Rally Finland was originally a quickly improvised qualifier event for the Monte Carlo Rally. I feel like I've heard of that. Monte Carlo. Yeah, that does sound does sound familiar. Maybe I'm just thinking of is that a car, Monte Carlo? There is a Monte Carlo car. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. it's a Chev there's a Chevrolet car called that. Um, but yeah, 30 Finnish drivers wanted to take part in Monte Carlo but only 14 fit within the quotas of, on Finns and Swedes. So uh, previously the entries had been decided in the Hanko run in southern Finland. The regulators in this race were not close to those of the Monte Carlo rally, leading to a demand for a Monte Carlo type of rally in Finland. So then uh, in July 1951, Penty Bark proposed for an annual competition and was accepted. The first ever rally began on the 1st of September 1951 as the Javascula Sirajat, or the Javascula Grand Prix, as we had previously mentioned, wherein 26 entrants tackled the 1,700 kilometer or 1,060 mile route that's, that's a really long route. <laughs> <laughs> in Lapland. That's huge. That's huge. That's that, a race. Yeah. How is that? That's a huge that's road. Like, all right, so we're going to have this little qualifier event. All you have to do is drive from Pennsylvania down to Florida. Yep. And that's, that's it. All, that's all you got to do. That's all you have to do. Or drive there as fast as you can. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you. What? On a dirt road, please. On a gravel <laughs> dirt road that we just kind of made, like, today. Um, that is nuts. Okay. That wasn't what I was expecting. When they said yeah. rally races, the first thing that comes mm. to my mind is a closed circuit course. Yep. 
with just a bunch of dirt everywhere mm-hmm. and people driving around in circles a lot, like yeah. any other kind of you know modern racing. I was not expecting <laughs> it to be a one thousand mile drive. Yeah, I mean, I was I honestly was expecting maybe like one mile, two miles. Maybe you do some laps yeah. around the course, right? <laughs> but not one thousand and sixty. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just um, just driving that distance in and of itself is a feat, but to be racing for that long, that takes some endurance. And at that point, you couldn't you could not have avoided stopping at some point to refuel, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd have to. And if you're talking about gravel and dirt roads, either there's two possibilities that I see here. Either at this point in time, Norway was not a big fan of paving its roads. Or, sooner or later, they had to go off of the gravel path onto it, mm. like, paved roads and towns to refuel at gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> or they had to, like, set up big gravel, like, pit stops. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would do that in a gravel course. Yeah. That seems so weird to me, especially if you're literally just, like, traversing 1,000 miles. How do you just, like, drop <laughs> reservoirs of gas? Because not everybody's going to want to stop for gas at the same time. That defeats mm-hmm. the purpose of the race, doesn't it? Or at the same yeah. point. Anyway. Um, it says that the winner, Arvo Carlson, was driving an Austin Atlantic, and he had accumulated the least penalty points and had been the closest to the target times throughout the route and the special tests involving hill climbing and acceleration. Hmm. Interesting. So since it was a qualifier, I suppose that he was the, it wasn't really like a race in the conventional sense. They weren't mm-hmm. like people on the same track at the same time. Okay. They all ran this course, but it was a series of times and statistics that were collected, and that determined right. the winner. It wasn't a matter of passing the other people. Yeah, that would be much. <laughs> yeah, better. that would be that would be an improvement. Mm-hmm. There's a really cool picture over on the side. It says they're servicing. Um, a DKW F93 during the 1956 rally. And you can't see much of the car, but from what I can see, it looks really cool. And I've never heard of a DKW F93. Yeah, that's an entirely new but, make and model for me. Like, what is a DKW, first yeah. off? <laughs> and why was it racing, second? Yeah, it looks like a luxury car or something. Hmm. Maybe that's something to check out after we finish finish up yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. The 1952 event uh, included Helsinki as an alternative starting point, and the field expanded to mm-hmm. 48 entries from the previous year's 26. Eno Electric Light Orchestra was the <laughs> only driver to finish the route and the acceleration and braking tests without penalty points. To clarify, Eno's last name was E-L-O. I just felt like having fun with it. <laughs> In 1953... Aulu was added as a third starting point. See, there are places in so, this country you can live and you can say the name, <laughs> Eric. It's not everywhere. Not everywhere is going to be Javascula. It's not. <laughs> yeah, but there's enough of them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's still not. It's still not great. But think about it. We have the same problem here. We have we have Skuku. Yeah. I mean, like people that's who haven't been here. Shui. People even get the word Lancaster wrong. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. And that's everywhere. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe we're not the only ones who mispronounce everything. Because I do, I, hope he- not. I do hear quite a lot of mispronunciation of things that I think are pretty common words. Like, you know, people say Amish yeah. instead of Amish. Which, but I've seen so many representations of Amish in the mainstream media that I thought that uh, you know it would be a pretty commonplace thing by now. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of places, and people say. Um, like, we have Reading as a town. People say Reading. Well, that one is entirely understandable. I mean, Let's it does honest. look... It yeah. looks exactly like the word Reading. It's but a little confusing. Then, also, the town that I am living in that we are doing this podcast from, Ephrata. Ephrata. Where are you, Ephrata? <laughs> Ephrata. So, I don't know. Who knows? It's a, it's a, it's a hard world. Everybody's... <laughs> like, that one Socrates... Dude said, you know, be nice because everybody's kind of everybody's kind of dumb about some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> Mistranslation is something about everybody having a great struggle. No, no, no. He wasn't that profound. 
Come on. <laughs> he was ancient. Give him a little less credit. Alright, so... I'm, I'm curious as to why there's different starting points. Do people just be like, oh, I'm going to start in this place. I think that's a better place to start. And then just do a different course or what? I guess it was or, just a matter of them like hmm. figuring out what they were actually going to do with this event at first. Because they were still like establishing it. So it was hmm. very un- it was variable at the time. They were still figuring out what they wanted oh, to actually do with it. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> okay, so in that last thing that you just read about... Yeah. Um, the Aulu added as a third starting point. 66 crews started the 2,200-kilometer course in two-minute intervals. So that... They were following each other the entire time. So 2,200 kilometers is a lot more than 1,700 kilometers. Yes. 2,200 kilometers. It's at least another couple hundred miles. That would be 1,367 miles. Wow. So, yep. And efficiency was not a thing on cars (laughs) of that vintage. I mean, I'm surprised they can even make it that long. Right? (laughs) Like, that's... That's... Like, that is actually, like, you know, you feel like you'd have to get, like, an oil change in the midst of right? racing. <laughs> I mean, in- engines at that point in time, they couldn't have been that efficient. They couldn't yeah. have been that clean. And, I mean, the fact that they were able to withstand that much use in succession mm-hmm. is, um, that's a feat in and of itself for any yeah. car that, like, completed this course. Because I think, think about it. Think about how unreliable cars were historically yeah. up until, you know, very recently, uh, cars broke down on the side of the road all the time. <laughs> and it was, I mean, you still see them occasionally, not as much as you used to. Right. But um, I i can't imagine how many cars actually succeeded in completing this event every year. <laughs> like, you, you see 66 crews starting this, sure. Mm-hmm. But based on what we know about car history, or where we are supposing, I should say, um, you one, one does stand a little bit baffled as to how many of these people could have actually completed the course. <laughs> 1,300 miles, like, half of those cars are going to break down. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way they don't. Statistically speaking, it's like there's going to be breakdowns. There's going to be problems. And how are you going to get a tow truck out in the gravel road? <laughs> that, that's the real problem. So, in uh, 1954, they had the introduction of the international name, the Rally of the Thousand Lakes. Which is nice, a lot better than the other harder to pronounce name. Indeed. Um, and then there were eleven starting cities. What? One of which was Sundsvall in Sweden. And then in 1955, the event became increasingly closer to the format of a modern rally competition. The number of special stages, which I'm not sure what it is was increased to 11 marking the highest amount in any European rally ELO and Peugeot became the first two time winners of the event in 1956 the rally featured 19 stages but went down in size to only 1,100 miles as opposed to 1,300 in 1957 the rally had a record number of entries from foreign countries and the organizers developed a sign language that marshals could use to communicate with the drivers. Hmm. The event also started the Finland-Sweden International in Rally, comparable to the traditional Finland-Sweden Athletics International. Sweden's Erik Carlson, who was mentioned in that other article, yes, drove... I don't know, this is a different Carlson. Wait. This is just sons. Different son. I thought he was... Maybe I'm just getting all these Eric and Sons. There was an Ericsson. <laughs> there was an Ericsson, but this is Eric Carlson. There, two there was a Mark Erics there was a Mark Erickson. This is Eric Carlson. But there's <laughs> an Eric and a Son in the same name it's, in both of them. Oh man, yeah, that's kind of confusing. <laughs> so I see where you're getting I see where there's like there's just too many sons, too many Erics. Yeah. It's just very very confusing. Too many strands in old Duder's head here. Yeah. 
Uh, he drove his Saab 93 to victory as the first non-finish to finish first. <laughs> uh, glad I got to say that finally. All right. <laughs> In the 1958 1,000 Lakes, documented by a 20th Century Fox film crew, hmm. seven drivers crashed out on the same curve on a foggy night. Brothers Osmo and Eno Capala took a record third win in an Alfa, Alfa Romeo Giulietta Ti, hmm. which marked the first victory for an Italian car. And that picture of that cool car, the DKW, is actually... Um that same Osmo Calpata. So this must be a different car that he was using. Oh, yeah. different, Same driver, different car. Yeah. Maybe it's an Italian car. That could be. That would we make sense. Know. It kind of looks... Italian-esque. Like, yeah. Now that I In see style. the name Alfa Romeo, like, yeah, you can see that. Yeah, and then as mentioned before, 1959... Thousand Lakes Rally was included in the European Rally Championship calendar. It was also one of the four rallies that counted towards the first ever Finnish Rally Championship. Oh, okay. So, well, in uh, the in 1960, nearly half of the 85 entries were from foreign countries. Hmm. Um, and then there's a. Thing here it says a deaf mute road worker was hit by Germany's future European champion Eugen Boehringer in what was the event's first fatal accident. And although the rally ended with Finland's Carl Otto Bremer leading home a Saab triple win, the best Finn had been only 10th after opening Harju Hill stage. And then uh, 1962, they had a record 104 drivers in the event. So it looks like it just kept on growing. People kept wanting to drive thousands of miles in a race. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's a pretty desirable challenge. Otherwise, it <laughs> wouldn't have kept up. I mean, there were, yeah. after a point, some uh, drop-offs in the amount of foreign competitors which may have something to do with the fact that the Finns and Swedes have continued to dominate this event. Mm. But at the same time, it also seems like it's a pretty crazy event. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so... Um, in 1970, it had a record 52 stages, but they only totaled 460 kilometers. So more stages, less total distance. I don't know what's going on with all this. Craziness. Well, they keep modifying it. I suppose so that if somebody wins it, they have something different um, to come back to. It's not going to be the same exact race every time. That's true. Ooh, okay, here we go. Um, the geographic features of this event. Um, Rally Finland is known for its smooth and wide gravel roads, which they have pictures and... Yes, I can see the smoothness of this gravel. <laughs> it's definitely very, very fine. Very fine, powdery stuff. Yeah. And it has numerous big jumps, or yumps, mm -hmm. and blind crests. And it is the highest speed rally in the World Rally Championship. Uh, of the six fastest ever WRC rallies by average speed, Five are editions of Rally Finland, and as a result, has become the Grand Prix of Rallying, or Finnish Grand Prix, or Gravel Grand Prix. So, yeah, I guess there are a lot of jumps in this thing. Yeah, that'd be fun. But it's a long, long distance. It's a long distance to keep doing that over, especially if you're familiar <laughs> with like, the format. Usually, yeah. like the reason why they were saying in the 1950s that there, there was the two brothers who won in that one car. The uh, Kapala brothers, like, the reason is that there's always a person driving, and then there's somebody there who's beside you, like, calculating <laughs> how long it's going to be before you go around the next turn and barking commands at you, saying, <laughs> shift down into this gear, slow down to this much, angle this <laughs> angle this direction, so that you have, like, an audible, audible, <laughs> like, literally, they train like that. They train yeah. in teams so that you have one person who's driving and another person who's barking commands at you the entire time. <laughs> it's a really, it's a grueling thing, because you have to be able to sit there and just be like not 
frustrated and just willing to take any sort of like advice given to you. It's yeah. very nerve-wracking. Not to mention the fact that you're going around bumps and sharp turns and jumps on a very <laughs> gravelly, muddy surface <laughs> at high speed. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you go down to the winners, it's almost Kavitic. Uh, how many how many little Finland flags there are mm-hmm. all over that thing? Like even Sweden just didn't win that much. <laughs> it's all Finland, man. Yeah. I mean, there's some there's a good good amount of Swedes on here too, but geez. And a lot of them are multiple winners. It looks like this Marcus Granholm looks like he won a lot. There's a guy named the Stig who won <laughs> Stig Blomquist. He's called the Stig. Okay, so do you want to uh, go over to that car, or well, if is there anything that, else that either that or special stages? Because we didn't we didn't know what special stages were. That's true. And that was kind of a missing missing functional component of like what exactly comprises mm-hmm. a rally race circuit. So, I mean, as curious as I am well, about that car, I don't know if we can. We could also just bounce over, take a peek. And then come back and go to the Let's actual do it. article. Okay, so a special stage is abbreviated as an SS, and it's a section of closed road at a stage rally event. Racers attempt to compete the stage. Compete the stage. They do that too, but they <laughs> attempt to complete the stage in the shortest amount of time. A race on a special stage is coordinated such that each competing racer begins after a set interval to reduce the chance of impotence by other competitors. Each special stage is a relatively short section, usually about up to 30 miles in length. Aha! Now the 1,000-mile thing makes more sense. It's not 1,000 consecutive miles. It's 1,000 miles total in stage form. Okay, so they set up a ton of little tracks. Right. So everybody goes around each track... Mm-hmm. Gets their time, adds up the times, right, and the total miles ends up being over a thousand. And I suppose that's what they meant with like the eleven starting towns for the event. Mm-hmm. Like you could start yeah. in any one of those eleven towns because you're going to be doing a whole bunch of different right. ones, so you can right. start in any one. And they're all this, part of it. Yeah. They're all part of it, so it doesn't really matter gotcha. where you started, as long as the time that you record and compare all the times, right. it would still work out fine. Okay. Innovative. Okay. This is making a lot more sense. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly, Sweden and Finland don't have to have a 1,000-mile-long gravel road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's better. Um, a rally usually comprises 15 to 30 stages. Uh, the driver with the overall lowest time for all stages in an event is the winner. So that makes more sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also common to see a super special stage or spectator stage. These are timed stages, like standard special stages, but are held on short purpose-built tracks, often in outdoor stadia, or stadiums, or occasionally in covered venues, though, as well. Mm. Uh, Commonly, two cars will set off at the same time, and at the halfway point of the stage will swap lanes. The short distance means that the difference in times between the top runners is often negligible, and so the stage is of little relevance to the overall uh, classification or the overall victor. Hmm. Mostly it's just for audience uh, satisfaction, it looks like. Yeah. Then they can, can, like, you know, satisfy a bunch of people who want to watch the Mm -hmm. race. Yeah, it's kind of hard to watch if you're driving about down a whole bunch of back roads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't re- can only really see the cars for split seconds. Can't really see yeah. any progress being made by the drivers. So there's I not mean, really. I guess that's not too much different from watching like a marathon, like of True. people running. Right. You can't. F- I mean, you could follow the runners, but most people just kind of stand yeah, there and going wait for across. people to cross. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So bouncing back then, and over to the DKW F93. So it's DKW 3 equals 6. <laughs> it's a weird name. Never seen an equals sign in a car name before. It is a very pretty car. Launched at the Frankfurt Motor Show in March 1953. Okay, so it doesn't say like where... Does it say where this is made? It doesn't really, but the fact that it's called a DKW Sonderklasse (laughs) 
does seem Probably to drop German. a hint. <laughs> yeah, it says DKW was one of four companies that had come together in 1932 to form the auto union based in Zwickau. Zwickau. And the company was effective, okay, refounded in West Germany in 1949, following the loss to the Soviets of the Zwickau assets. Three of the four businesses that had constituted auto union before the war seemed unlikely ever to reappear on either side of the Iron Curtain. But starting in 1949, the DKW name was used for the F-89 assembled by Auto Union in the West. And this model was, was replaced by the 3 equals 6. Which is wrong. 3 does not equal 6. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish I could learn more about the specific naming of this thing. Cause I wish I could learn more about the math that they used <laughs> to come up with that name because it's annoying and wrong. <laughs> Just, what does that mean? Well, they'll tell us... Oh, they do tell us the names, and they tell us what they all mean. Well, there we go. The name Sonderclass, we'll start there, differentiated the car from the previous model, which had been known as the Meisterclass. <laughs> the Meisterclass. Meisterclass. Uh, both names had also been used for commercially successful DKWs in the 1930s, the pre-World War II time frame. Sonderklasse is a German verbal con... Wow, I can't... This is the English word. I have. <laughs> this is the one I'm having the problem with. Uh, concatenation. I get you. Yeah. That does not translate comfortably into English. It is based on the word Sonder, of which one translation is special, likened, linked to the word Klasse, which means class. So, special class. Seems easy enough. Yeah. Like, we could just kind of... You can... That seems pretty comfortable. That to seems me. like a normal, <laughs> like a normal, comfortable name for a car. Special class. Yeah. It's a special class of car from the DKW. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like, why not? I don't know why they say it's like. Well, it's I don't a doozy. know. It's a, it's a pretty rough name to translate. <laughs> class is class. I mean, woof. <laughs> mm. But you know, not necessarily. It could be category too. No, it's class. Classes are categories. <laughs> They're synonyms. Stop being ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so here we go. The name 3 equals 6 started out as a, an as, a, as an advertising slogan, but by the time of the 1955 facelift, the name was to the fore, and the car was advertised as the large 3 equals 6. Rosa 3 <laughs> equals 6. Dire- differentiating it from the earlier version, which already carried the script 3 equals 6, ahead of the door on its left side. Point of the advertising slogan was to highlight an equivalence between the car's two-stroke, three-cylinder engine and a four-stroke, six-cylinder engine. Ah. So they're saying their three-cylinder engine was equal to a six-cylinder engine. Done. Gotcha. And the underlying logic was that the with the two-stroke cycle, there is engine power produced by an explosion within each cylinder for every rotation of the crankshaft. With the four-stroke cycle, there is power produced by an explosion within each cylinder only for each alternate rotation of the crankshaft. So I guess it was kind of like a statement. Yeah, they were saying that, listen, this engine right here fires all the time. doesn't stop firing. <laughs> The other ones only fire every other time. That's like half the power <laughs> using twice as much space. That Don't doesn't make any sense. Don't you want your cars to be exploding all the time? Don't you want them to constantly <laughs> explode? Don't you want to consistently <laughs> explode? And a constantly exploding car is better than a sometimes exploding car. Let's be honest, that's true. I mean, <laughs> you know, when it comes to that special time when you're about to sit down with your friends and drive somewhere mm-hmm. do you want to half explode I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> alright the final one here the name F91 factory project number for the car simple as that F stood for front tent tribe or front wheel drive in English which almost sounds the same just yeah. kind of like a little diluted <laughs> 
Yeah, it sounds like if you just like had a stroke and you were trying to say front wheel drive. You just hold your tongue. There you go. You've translated it into German. (laughs) Good job. Wish every language was that easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hold on. Let me try for special class. The class. It's almost Sonder class. Almost. It's close. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Now that we're done pretending we're on an elementary school (laughs) playground, um, back to our jazz radio voices. And... um, Time to uh, go on about the F-91. Yeah, the F-91. Now, the bodies of the F-91 were presented as a two-door saloon with front opening doors, which presumably facilitated access. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really good to have access to your car. Really, mm-hmm. really a nice feature, especially for that time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Being able to get it in, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. A pillarless, a pillarless coupe version. Pillarless, that's ooh, ooh. increasing the visibility. Ooh. Yeah, all right. I always, I always like it without the pillow. That's yeah, always good. Yeah. First seen in 1953, was produced from 1954, as well as a cabriolet, body by Osnabrück. Oh, you know, those are good coach builders. Oh, yeah. And Carman. Ooh, Carman. Carman San Diego. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Where, where is she? Uh, oh, there knows. she is on the right-hand side. Oh, there she is, the right Carman. In the red. As always. Always wearing that red coat, the yep. Carman. <laughs> Trying to hide out it as a car. You know it, but uh, sure enough, we found her. We yep. found Carman. We're always, we'll always find her. Wherever she is in the world. Can't hide and wear a bright red coat. Nope. Sure, sure can't. <laughs> uh, in addition, there was a uh, three-door real estate for real estate. <laughs> three-door, just a normal estate. Just a normal estate. Fake estate, real estate, doesn't matter. Version. Virtual reality estate. <laughs> <laughs> called the uh, called the Universal, which uh, continued to be offered unchanged until June of 1957, by which time the saloon buyers had been offered the F-93, an upgraded version, for two years. Modifications came progressively, and the coupe version had been launched with a panoramic three-piece wraparound back window, and in the back end of 1954, a similar wraparound back window appeared on the two-door saloon. Advertising highlighted such features as a fuel gauge and an interior light that could be set to come on automatically when the door was opened. Ah, that is a little, a little advanced for the time. I feel like a fuel gauge is something that's very important on a car. <laughs> I can't imagine having a car without it, to be honest. Yeah, that would be a little that'd be a little unsettling at this point. Yeah, in the nineteen fifty five they launched the F ninety three version, which is the eponymous three equals six gross. Um and it had the same wheelbase as F ninety one, but was slightly longer, wider, and taller. And the track was also increased by ten centimeters. Ten whole centimeters. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> and in place of horizontal metal slats, the new model featured an oval-shaped front grille containing five horizontal metal colored slats. So, wait. Met- metal. Metal. Never seen M-E-T-E-L. Is that like a thing? Because it says metal colored. I think it might just be a weird German term for metal. Metal. Like, I don't think it's a color, though. It says colored. Oh, but, okay, so maybe it's metal slats that are colored. Maybe. But, (laughs) Google search of metal. There's no link. Metal, okay, there is a Wikipedia page for metal. They could have linked it. We but should link it has it. nothing to do. <laughs> there, there. Well, the, it's not linked to in the article. I know. We should just link it. <laughs> just link it to. <laughs> just link it to what it metal, means. Which, which uh, is actually what. <laughs> what? What is it? Uh, well, the article I found called Metal says was a British or was a guards torpedo boat storm class of the Soviet Navy. Commissioned in 1934. So, probably not the same thing. There is a disambiguation. 
Nope. It says Metal and Fiction. And there's a plant that has that in the name. And there's a rocket that has that in the name. So I don't think it's an actual thing. I don't know what it is. Oh, well. It's probably just a misspelling of metal. Probably. I mean, look, they, just, they went on, they misspelled colored right there, so, I mean... Well, you know what? We had a good streak of editing these pages, so... Okay. You know what? It's going to happen again. Here we go. We're going to do go. it third time in a row. We're going to do it, guys. We're going to fix history. We're going to make that metal metal. Right? That's what we're doing. Just yeah. changing the E to an A. Yep. <laughs> okay. Significantly just less significant <laughs> edit this time. Not really informational, just kind of better. Yeah. More more clear. Yeah, and yeah. Less confusing. Okay. Like what is a metal? Metal colored slots. Should I change, change colored? <laughs> or should I leave it for, because it's a European based article? Like? Just leave it because it's a European based article. Like look at how thorough this is. I have to say my hats off to them for being a car that I have not seen <laughs> nor heard about. This has one of the most thorough articles. It's one of the most thorough articles in a car I've ever seen on Wikipedia. Yeah, for sure. And I've seen quite a few. Oh, there it is. Metal. Good. Yep. We're fixed. <laughs> so, what we don't know is that this car did make it to the Americas. Just hmm. not the one that you think. <laughs> the southern one. The one that people uh, forget about. The south. The South, the Deep South, yep. the Brazilian <laughs> South. Auto Union cars were very popular in South America. There were a number of special types of the DKW 3 equals 6 that were manufactured in Brazil under license by VMAG, V-E-M-A-G, from 1956 to 1967. Uh, models were sold uh, called the DKW Bell Car Sedan, the Vemaguei, Station wagon and the Fissor, a two door coupe with a smooth designed body and elegant appointments, which resembled in general terms the DKW F 102. Is that a radio station? <laughs> DKW F 102. The, the car. <laughs> um, the only station where three equals six. <laughs> Oh man, that wish would be a a great, great just like a niche car radio station. <laughs> like if you had like an XM yeah. domain that you wanted to like fill up with car talk, like that'd be a great <laughs> way to do it. Uh, the F ninety four line made by DKW VMAG was equipped with doors hinged at the front from nineteen sixty four and four headlights in nineteen sixty seven. Altogether, one hundred and nine thousand cars were built in Brazil. It's hmm. a lot. Yeah, it's that's a decent amount. Yeah, Brazil had a pretty booming audio industry, as it turns mm -hmm. out. All right, well, uh, let's see. Let's uh, let's go with the top speeds of these cars. Here. Okay, right across the board. Okay, so we got with the F ninety one top speed of seventy one miles per hour. Saucy little thing. All right, and then the F ninety three. 76 miles per hour. Much better. All yeah. right. And then the F93 Carman Cabriolet. 76. Keeping it strong. Mm -hmm. and then the F94. Back down to 71. And then the Monza. Two-door lightweight sports car. Top speed of 84 miles per hour. That's pretty speedy. Not quite enough to time travel, but pretty speedy. <laughs> uh, Ooh, and bouncing over to that article for the Monza, it's a pretty cool-looking car. Looks a little futuristic. Oh, yeah, that is a sporty-looking little thing, isn't it? That is something you would actually really enjoy seeing yourself show up in. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a nice-looking little car. Yeah. Set five world records in 1956. Not too shabby. No. I mean, for a car that can only go 84 miles an hour, kind of <laughs> like puts that in perspective for you. But yeah. hey, at the same time, that kind of a car that sets that many records but still only gets that still gets 28 miles to the gallon, that's a mm -hmm. uh, pretty efficient little vehicle there. Yeah. Okay. Where uh, to from here? Well, um, we're actually running... Uh, 
a little uh, over time right now. So oh, what? We've, yeah, this is our third <laughs> article. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, we yeah we did it. <laughs> that was okay. So yeah, from uh, Mitsubishi Gallant VR4 to DKW3 equals six. Cool. So. If you enjoyed this, please visit facebook.com slash TWC podcast and give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And um, we do have a Twitter that's <laughs> at the Wikicron, but <laughs> don't really have a whole lot of activity over there, but um, I'll keep checking on it, see if I can post cool things. I should really be like tweeting when we're recording and stuff like that, but. Oh yeah, I, I mean knows? maybe. I don't know. Is that, is that something people do on Twitter? Man, I guess. I really I, don't. I mean, it, it wouldn't really help the listeners because they'd be like, "Hey, they're recording," but it's not like they can really interact or, you know, give us stuff to do. So, or maybe maybe they could. Maybe if I say we're recording, maybe we could give a shout out to people who are contacting us. Although, we have a very small selection of listeners. So. But hey, we have we do hey, have some. We have some people true. following us. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Okay, a couple people well, who maybe maybe spam <laughs> robots. I'm not sure, but you know they're there. Yep. Uh, so yeah. Next time, maybe we'll try that. Maybe we'll right. we'll, we'll throw up the uh, Twitter. And we'll say that we're recording and let people uh, you know mention us or whatever, and then we'll give a shout out on on the air, live, yeah. pre-recorded. Yep, yep. Um, yep. So I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and the original Tuxedo Jazz Orchestra for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. So you think we have enough time, even with all of the uh, emergency sirens going off in the background? Okay. All right. We are at... One hour, 14 minutes, so I think we are just, Oh, just wow. Fine. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. I think we will be just... There's a reason why we don't talk about cars. It's because <laughs> we, get, we get overzealous. We start getting into it. And it's just, they're just fun to look at and be like, yeah. ooh, top speeds. Ooh, like, <laughs> doesn't matter whether or not you're into cars. Like, it's just kind of like there's something mm-hmm. inherent about that that's interesting.